Hey friends, Ashton here. Welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. I wish you could see the smile on my face uh, for who is back with us today. Um, One of the most beautiful souls that I've had the chance to cross paths with, uh, her work in the world has been absolutely formative in my life. Uh, I, I feel like on the path of wisdom, the path of love, you, you, this this is a woman who has spent a life near the spirit and heart of the divine. And, and you experience this in her works. You experience this in the energy that she brings to the room. Uh, and you experience this in her book. She's got a new book that just came out. So, of course, we're going to chat through that today. Uh, but I'm so excited to welcome back to our conversation uh, one of our village elders, Sister Joan Chittister. Joan, thank you so much for coming back. Oh, Ashton, I wouldn't have missed you for the world. <laughs> I, I know what our life is. And furthermore, you know, I want to talk to you about what you've named your podcast, The Good, the True, and the Beautiful. It, it, there is nothing that this world, and I think this country, needs more Mm. right now than a new sense of the good and the true and the beautiful we've gotten we've we've lost our way a bit and somehow or other uh has shaken this up it needs to be shaken up and it's people like you i I, i've said this to to several of uh, the interviewers i want you to understand how important radio work is there's there's something about radio work that no other media has been able to, to equal uh, because radio uh, radio goes for substance. TV and and the the, the panels and things they go for content. Mm-hmm. But if if uh, if a radio interview asks you a question. They'll give you the time to answer it. And if they don't get it, you get to answer it again. <laughs> that's substance. That's so, so people love it. You know, they love to hear other, how other people are thinking, where they've been in their life. What, if, if you're telling the truth in this time, in this hour that we have, it's got to be a gift to everybody, whether it's their truth or not. Mm-hmm. They get to hear somebody else's truth and to have it explained. So, I, I, I can't pass I can't pass this opening up without asking you telling you that because I want you to know that this is not just uh, 30 minutes for me or 40 minutes for me it's it's a, an opportunity for your listeners and I thank you for for taking that life and giving us that mm, thank you sister Joan um goodness. I love your energy. Um, it makes me smile. Um, so it's been a while since we had you here. Uh, our first yeah. conversation, uh, I absolutely loved. And, and now you've got another book in the world. Of course, you've only got about 60 of them floating around out there, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the new one is The Monastic Heart. Um, and, and we're going to get into this a bit about, you know, your story uh, 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 with St. Benedict and kind of the monastic practices that, uh, you know, you have really uh, ha- have guided your life. But, but I guess before we get going here, when we talk about the monastic heart, why, why did you write this book? Why this book? Why now? Oh, that's, that's the easy question to answer. It, it, it carried a weight uh, on the heart with it. And I'll be honest with you, I, wa- I wasn't sure. But it, here, here we were. I got up one morning and I said, John, we're in the middle of a, a, of a global calamity. The, 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 the tectonic plates of this entire globe are shifting as, as we get up, meaning everybody is in a new place that they didn't plan to be and don't want to be, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But they're there. At the same time that, you, that you're dealing with calamity, you're dealing with fragility, the fragility of a society to be able to, to, to embrace this or at least to get through it with a kind of spiritual sanity. Now, everybody's got to endure. We know that. But endure what? And endure how? Uh, we're, we had to move from certainty to faith. 
all the things that we knew were true. The schools would open, uh, the jobs will be there, uh, the, the town will bustle, uh, we'll, we'll take a summer vacation, uh, we're, I'm going to make a retreat, uh, we're having a great study group. Although every smallest certainty in life went crashing through the floor. Mm. So I began to ask myself, well then Joan, where do people go to find the tenacity to endure? What will get us through a, a period when everything we're, we're accustomed to looking forward to bowling on Tuesday night always takes all of the, the, the heat and, and the hurt out of my week. No, no bowling on Tuesday night, not now. So well, where, where do we go to find this way out of this closed, dark world? And, and if you find it, how can you sustain it? What internal resources can you summon up that can nourish tenacity, making tomorrow possible? No matter how dull, how dry, how doubtful today is. How do we make tomorrow happen and be sure that we can? My answer to that is we have to cultivate the part of us that too often runs as a sidecar. And that, by that I mean, we've, we've, got, we've got to cultivate that inner spirituality. Now I am not talking, and nobody knows it better than you, Ashton, given our last conversation. I'm not talking about denominations. Yep. I'm not talking about religion as a formal uh, element at all. You, you can be part of a religion all your life and never develop a spirituality. Mm-hmm. You, you can go to any denomination on the block, and when you come right down to it, it's part of the weekly schedule, and it is not, it, it, it is not the water fountain that you seek. You, you do it. It's, the right, it's a good time of life. It's what my mother always told me. Grandma made us go. But at the same time, it can, it can maintain its veneer. So I began to say to myself, Look, John, this is not the very first. It may be first for some of us as people, but this is not the first time the, the world has been shaken to its roots or, or seen its heart dry up or heard its hope die. And so how did they get through it? How'd they do it? And that's when I said, it's all about wisdom. We, will, we can come out of this, each of us, with a new wisdom, or we can come out of this with the old wisdom confirmed. Hmm. This is this is where I was. This is what I had to do, and it's all I've ever done. And for me, it's right. But whatever its time element, it's about wisdom and and um, putting down our assumptions, going with what we can see over our shoulder has lasted before, not just in the life of the world, not just in the life of, of a certain culture, but in my own life. What, what I have to start with the question, where have I been before with my face in this mud and no sign of sun? And what, what was it that took me down to that level? And what was it that raised me up? Because you see, they go together too. Whatever wears us down is exactly what builds us up. So uh, for instance, from a personal posture, most of the world probably knows this by now. Um, I went into polio at the age of 16, didn't walk for four years. That is not a small thing, but it's pretty hard to, to um, it's, it's pretty hard to scare me because w- when, when we get to that point, Mm-hmm. The thing that goes right through here is shape it up. Stop it now. You have been in worse. You have waited a long time. You've seen total life losses. This is just one more. Get up, get back in the saddle, and let's go. So what this this looking at the wisdom of the past, I have a feeling is what puts 
new foundation under our feet in the present. Hmm. Beautiful. Well said. Uh, and I love your word of sustainability along with that mm-hmm. wisdom that, that, that I think, um, you know, there is something uh, that r- wisdom renews us. Yes, we may be tired. Yes, we may be discouraged. But wisdom is the every morning anew. We can do that again. We can give ourselves to that again. And that opens up the spirit, does it not? That's exactly right. So uh, the book was meant to to help people find uh, slices and slivers of that wisdom to confirm their own wisdom, as well as to see see, uh, a wisdom that has affected uh, the entire world and definitely the Western world for 1500 years. Mm. Now, anything that has lasted for 1500 years, somebody ought to have the sense to say, how'd they do that? <laughs> what is our local banks don't last eight years anymore. Yeah. How and these people are claiming that when they started in, in the year 520, in this little book, five inches high and four inches wide and 72 tiny, tiny, uh, little chapters in it that that's the same book that I made my profession on. Mm. Not a word of it has changed. And so there's something in that wisdom that has carried uh, a large part of humanity over the the tough spots in the road and can do this one too. Yeah, yeah. So that's a great gateway into this rule of Benedict that that you have you know, made your life about, I'm an amateur on Benedict. I've read a few books. Uh, I do not have the experience that you do, but I think it would be good for maybe you just to briefly share with our listeners, you know, who was Benedict? What was he about? Uh, What was this uh, wisdom that he saw that he laid before that still does to this very day create sustainable goodness, truth, and beauty in people's lives? That's right. Well, I'm glad you asked because, frankly, it's not asked often enough. Hmm. And uh, somebody told me a couple of days ago that one of the one of the fastest um, developing parts of the publishing industry is a phenomenal attention on biographies now Hmm. uh, and and autobiographies, people looking toward the lives of other people to say, I, I admire that person, how they get through that yeah. or what happened there. So it, we are not wasting time looking at, if you're talking about a Benedictine rule, exactly Ashton, who in heaven's name was Benedict and where did this guy come out of? Well, let, let's let's do um, j- just, just the overview and it'll say plenty. Uh, he, he was a young man like you, even younger. But in those days, it would have been proportional. He was about 19 or 20, and he came out of a village in northern Italy, and he went to Rome, Rome that was the L.A., New York, Chicago of the area era. It was all glitz and glitter and and, uh, corruption and evil and excess and uh, classism and destruction of peoples as, as we kind of soaked up the uh, the liabilities of the time and this kid had a wisdom and he looked at it and he said i'm not staying here this this place isn't worth anything this is you can't learn anything about life here they've already destroyed life he literally he, he sent down by his family in norcia to go to school and he gets to school and he says there is nothing to learn here that will be helpful in society mm-hmm. so he leaves but he doesn't know what to do. And he just decides that what he's going to do is take some time off and look at it all because he's so troubled by what he saw there. And yet what, what is in the village, that's not enough for him either. So he goes in, this was not uncommon. This is not extreme asceticism. It wasn't uncommon people in that era to move into a cave. Uh, you know, if, if you go through China, you can see the caves yet in the, in the the holes in the hills because they didn't have uh, the wood it would take to build houses, for instance. So at any rate, he goes into a, into a kind of a, a, a shrine uh, cave and he's, he's there for three years. This wasn't overnight. 
And But what he was doing is the shepherds in the area had come to know him. And, and they, uh, they were accustomed to, to answering, uh, having him answer their questions. And eventually they said to him, you don't belong here. You have to get out of here and go teach people what you know and what you have taught us. So when he comes out of, of the cave, he, he has a pretty clear notion of what he wants. And he says to people, Rome cannot be conquered. There is no way any of us can get big enough to eliminate Rome. There isn't any way we can overpower that society. And we certainly cannot uh, allow ourselves to be absorbed by it. So here's what we have to do. We have to, we have to develop a new way to live in the shell of the old. We have to show people by our own lives that, that this doesn't have to be. And it's certainly nothing that we, we want to, to take as a, as a model. Mm -hmm. So he, he begins um, to gather uh, people around him uh, uh, and, and to write this, this little rule. And he has a second um, commitment, and that is to live an ordinary life extraordinarily well. Love that. Live an ordinary life extraordinarily well, which is why when you look at the practices that are in this book, there's nothing. No, there are a couple Latin words there that people want to know what in heaven's name that is. But all those other things are in your day, too. Mm -hmm. They're as much in your day as they are in mine. The difference is we codify them. We, we announce them. We recite them and we commit ourselves to them. So Benedict brings these young people around him. And just about this same time, you know it because uh, you, you went to school and you learn that uh, Western civilization collapsed when Rome collapsed in 476 or something like that. And, and why? Why did Rome collapse? Here's part two of the answer to our own life questions. Rome collapsed because it had created excess in every arena, excessive wealth, excessive evil, excessive um, overdevelopment, excessive suffering, excessive poverty, excessive ignorance of the care for anybody else. Now, there were some real reasons too. And the big reason was that the, the Roman legions disappeared. Why? Because Rome had squeezed every ounce of taxes out of every colony it had for as long as it had. And it, it, they, they could no longer afford the legions. So who cares? It's a bunch of horses and a few guys because those legions were keeping all the roads safe. Mm. Everything in Italy, as well as all the colonies, were being overseen and ordered by the legions. So when they didn't have money to sustain the legions anymore, what happened to Europe wasn't climate change. It was complete chaos. Nobody, people lost jobs. The, the, the peasants came off of the farmland. They're wandering uh, these unguarded roads where the rape and the, and the ravage and the ranting was going on. Nobody was safe. Nobody felt safe. And Benedict begins now to realize that to live an ordinary life extraordinarily well we have to live for more than ourselves. We have to somehow or other create the gift of the present moment where we are too. So here, he, here he, uh, now we have these small pods of Benedictines following this little rule that we'll talk about in a few minutes. And in that area, they begin, when the, when the peasants come to them, there were so many, you, you think people are, are clamoring today to get going someplace in fifth and sixth century Italy. There were, I always say Benedictines, Benedictines developed the first holiday inns in existence. <laughs> he put up all these, what we call hospices now, 
And the pride of the Benedictine order was that you could cover, you could cross Europe and uh, stay in a Benedictine house every single night, all the way from the Baltics to Paris. So here you have now an institution developing that is being what the society is not. They provided education, they provided medical work, they provided family development, they provided um, uh, uh, a whole picture and period of internships so that young people could learn how to take care of the land. And they concentrated, believe it or not, on what we would call today the green life, where the, if you gave the Benedictines 100 acres of land, they'd only take it if it was bad land. <laughs> if there were so many boulders in it that they had to lift everyone off to drain it out. They were into conservation and preservation. It was those, those qualities adjusting to every different century and public need that gave the Benedictine order 1,500 years of unmitigated life. Wow. And that's what this book is about. Well, wow. well. Wow. So out of this chaos emerges... Uh, a way of being in the world uh, that is simple, and it and and it's quiet, and it's and it's recognizing just the dirt under your feet that you've been entrusted. Um, um, I, I love in the introduction where you write that in every beating heart is a silent undercurrent that calls each of us to more of ourselves. Like a magnet, it draws a person to a place unknown, to the vision of a wiser life to the desire to become what I feel I must be, but I cannot name. Um, so this is an yeah. invitation to be drawn into that thing that we are all feeling like we're being drawn into, right? That I, I think a lot of us don't have the language for it, and that's okay, but it's the invitation of the quiet and simple life. Um, and we can feel the magnet. The, we can feel that magnet pulling us. They, we just don't know to what or where or why, but something's not right. Yeah. You know, your grandmother looks at you and she says, Ashton, are you all right? You doing okay? Yeah, grandma, things are pretty good. What do you mean pretty good? Well, I'm not sure. Mm. I'm not sure of this. I just know that I, I'm trying to do something else. Well, I'll pray for you, son, and you'll do it. Yeah. And we know that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's walk through some of these. Um, th there's there's a handful uh, of these 50 practices that um, spoke to me, and I, and I thought maybe they could be good reminders and practices for all of us here. Um, the first the first one being bells. Uh, you know, you write a chapter on bells, and 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 you talk about and how all of the monasteries that that the the, the bells serve as a reminder to to stay awake, to stay aware, uh, and that we in our life, even though we may not live at a monastery, there are practices and disciplines and ways that we can set bells in our life uh, to, to reorient us to that which matters and the purpose that we've been called to. So, so your thoughts on the bells. Okay, the first thing is, Ashton, you're right, everybody has a bell. And the first thing you have to do is to identify what your bell is. Now listen carefully. If your bell is competition, what's getting left out? If, you, if your bell is, um, oh, um, you'd call it a pleasure, how much are you drinking? How much does that bell take to rattle in your head? If your bell is self, who's being hurt by, by your commitment to your life, but nobody else's. Those bells have to be identified. And then when they're identified, then you ask yourself, what do I want to have be a bell in my life? The babies, my kids, uh, the business, uh, the social system. Are we missing something here that I should be part of? The oceans, the whales. There's what, what, what is the holiness in you? 
that that can call you out of yourself for all our sakes, as well as your own. Because once once you develop, once you decide what bell you you don't want to be listening to, mm. then you decide what bell you want to pay attention to. Then all of a sudden, you see your own life kind of straightens up, stiffens out. You know what you're going to do Tuesday. No, it won't be the bowling, but it's going to be that meeting with the kids who are upset about all the plastic in the river or with my own kids. And I'm going to take them for a walk through the woods. And I'm going to tell them that if they don't care, if they don't take care of trees, then pretty soon their own lives are going to be affected. How daddy, I'll tell you, I'll tell you that whole notion, that tree is a bell for me. It says, I haven't done anything about that today or this week or this month or not nearly enough in my life. All of those trees are bells calling me. If, if you, and I do, if, if you really let a bell be a bell for you, you set it up somewhat and you can, then when that bell rings, you say to yourself, well, well, what's going on in my life today that uh, isn't so good? What can I do about it, if anything? Where do I go to get the help to do it? The bell is calling me to a level above myself and to something more important in the world, uh, the presence of God in the world, than all the junk that I'm accumulating mm-hmm. or accrue. Mm-hmm. Bells are... They're, they're everywhere in, in, in Benedictine monasteries. You can't pass a monastery and not see one of these big old bells. You know, our old bell was about, what, 700 years old or something, they told us, when we got it. And so you there's something about that, that um, you're not alone, but you have to decide, you, you yourself have to decide what that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not that the bells are not available. It's that sometimes we are not available. Uh, and it, and, and we, in, in order to hear the bells, uh, in order to have that subject to subject dialogue with the bells, yeah. it takes a, availability, which I think is a, is a great gateway into, uh, and forgive my pronunciation, pronunciation here, statio, statio. Oh, you're good. You're good. It is. That's a, that's a, a Latin term. It's very important to us. Um, it means what you think it means, the station. The, the, where, where the train stops, where I stop, where I'm going to meet so-and-so. It, estatio is the Latin word that means we, we, uh, we stand together. Now, another way, another way to put it, I always define it as being where you're supposed to be before you need to be there. <laughs> Five um, minutes early, as you said in the book. <laughs> that's right. When I, when I was a young novice, I was hardly in a, in the monastery a month and they were teaching us of course you know here, here were the sec- uh, segments of the day and what you did in each one and and then the novice mister said something like this and you must always be at prayer five minutes ahead of time what wait a minute say want to say that again <laughs> yes you must go to prayer five minutes ahead of time i said wait a minute i just excuse me is prayer at five or at five to five? And she said, prayer is at five. Stazio is at five to five. I said, what's that? She said, you go so that you'll be there when it starts. Now, I'm embarrassed to tell you, but it's the only honest answer is, it took me years to get that. Hmm. I was a good, fast-moving American kid and what you did was run from A to B as fast as you could, uh, crunch B into half a B and get to C and just keep running and doing and doing and running. Pack and it all in. Yeah, it's all there. It's all there, you know? And, and you, come, you come racing through the front door 
and you throw the book bag down, you take off your jacket and you, you hit the couch with that and you run your hands through your hair and you say, I don't have time to wash, it's okay, I'm all right, I'm all right. And you, you race into chapel and they're already at the end of the first Psalm. You say, Barbara, I just made it. Not to my novice mistress, you didn't. <laughs> you, you went to chapel five minutes before the bell, bell, bell was going to ring throughout the whole monastery and around it. And when you did that, you said to yourself, quiet now, quiet, just be here. You have five minutes to leave where you just left. You have five minutes to put your soul where it is and to attend to that and to get quiet inside. And when, when the leader of the prayer says, oh God, come to my assistance, you're ready. Hmm. That's you're the ready. gift. The, the, the monastery gave you the gift of a, I, let's call it a breath between things. Yes, that's it. Yeah. It's, it's that not allowing ourselves to be partially distracted everywhere we are. Mm. I have to be with you right now. And it's your show. You have to bring that laser beam to it and say, where do I want this thing to go? Or what did she say? She's got to say more about that. I didn't get that at all. It's, it's whatever went on around you before the, the thing said, uh, recording on. Mm. That's yesterday, that's gone. Your soul is right here, that laser beam into the center of you that says what this is about is about our looking at the parts of the spiritual life and asking ourselves, which of those parts am I missing? Hmm. You know, what a beautiful conviction that, that leads me to even think that I could add into my calendar five-minute blocks at the end of every hour. I don't need to make appointments from 2 to 3. I can make an appointment from 2 to 2.55. There you are. Yeah. There you are. And, and if you'll do that, you, you separate yourselves from, from yourself from what was to what is. Mm. And that's life-changing. Yeah. And then people don't say to you anymore, oh, uh, listen, are you going? And you say, what? Pardon me? Oh, I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you later. Yeah. Some build those little caves of concentration in. And you just sit back in your chair when this is over. Say, well, the battery didn't blow out. She didn't throw at me anything at me. Uh, I, I think it was a good hour, but right now, I, I have a, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be thankful mm -hmm. for this day, this time. And I'm going to, I have someone else coming in. Now, how will I approach that? I am preparing for what I about to do. Yeah. It's like closing the open windows in the browser that is our soul. You're closing them it's, out. Yeah. 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 And it's also, it's, it's proof that to me, that I am giving my whole self to the, to the present moment, not to the past and not to what's coming on after this. Mm -hmm. uh, when you go, you'll still be with me for at least five minutes. And, and, and I, I will move myself from, from this to that so that I can bring the same amount of concentration to the next thing as I'm, as I'm trying to give you. I, I'm not running. I'm, uh, I'm, let's put it this way. Uh, I, I am capable of noticing someone in tears and stopping to dry them. Mm. Yeah, well said. You know, I, th I, think, I, I think the more I do study the life of Benedict um, and, and that, you know, the characteristics of hospitality, productivity, community, and immersion, I, I, I realize and you wrote this in the book, that it, ordinariness becomes the route to God. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is the good news. This is such good news. 
that is the good news. That was Jesus' good news. You see that man over there? He hasn't stood up straight for 38 years. Pay attention to him. Mm -hmm. The good news is whatever is in my life. Mm -hmm. Do it well. Do it, do it out of the holiness of your heart. Do it because it needs to be done. And don't be afraid to defend doing it. Mm -hmm. This is where my life comes down. And that, uh, in those five minutes, enjoy the emptiness. Mm -hmm. yeah. Enjoy the emptiness. Don't try to fill it with, I, oh, good, this will give me a chance. I, I've been wanting to, to count up all those bills. Now, here is my phone, and I can just sit here and run all the numbers in. No, no. Enjoy the emptiness in you and let it take you into the well of your life yeah yep 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 Definitely. to the deep kairos time um the eternal now the sacrament of the present moment there you go yeah. that's it yeah that's yeah it's and it's hard to not be drawn to the super bowl of every moment of our days right that the next big thing the next flashy thing no the 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 beauty of the ordinary is where you are going to find not only the that's divine right. but yourself as well Oh, and more of yourself. And sometimes you find the emptiness of yourself. Mm. And sometimes you find the overfulness mm. of yourself. And those five minutes help you find you again. Yeah. They're wonderful moments. Yeah. They're, they're really, they're physical. This is not, there's nothing literary about this. There's nothing poetic. This is physical. Mm -hmm. I'm, I am delighted, absolutely buoyed up to hear you say, yeah, I keep the schedule, but you know, it could go from two to five to three. And the next can go from, from three yeah. to five to four. And I would have had two times in this day, instead of going home when they say, Ashton, how was it? And you say, God, it was, it was a good day. Man, it was one thing on top of another. No, it's supposed to be one thing after another. Mm. And I am ready to be after this. That's what Stazio is about. Stop it. Stand still. Stay with the present. Don't bring the past into this present. And simply give yourselves to what, yourself to what the next present will be. We live from here to there, not there to here. There you go. Yeah. 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 There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, which I guess is another, um, you know, another one of the themes that was woven through here in, in one of the 50 practices was solitude. And, and you, you wrote, I, I loved how you reflected on your early days at the monastery and how your moments of solitude, as you reflect back, are some of your most cherished moments. Um, and you wrote that the, the sentence that I underlined was that solitude grows us to the point of actually knowing ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. Hold my hand on that idea of, of, of the gift of solitude, the necessity of solitude, um, and, and, and the possibility that's, that's packed yeah. with solitude. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, and perfectly phrased, because those are the three dimensions. Mm. And one or the other usually get us it's like it's like having having a mouse beat at the ankle or bite at the ankle you know i call solitude a vacation for the soul <laughs> yes a vacation <laughs> for the soul that's too good i i'm a i'm a I, I i don't say this with any joy or pride necessarily but i am a busy person who is often too busy and at that point there has to be, it's, it's bigger than Stazio. Solitude means I want to be alone for a while. I don't want to be listening for everybody else's moves, everybody else's questions, everybody else's. I, I want to be able to sit here, look out that window, think about what it's saying about uh, the present and the past and the future but I need time and space for solitude. I don't need a lot of time and I don't need personal space for Stazio. 
that's the physical difference. Mm -hmm. Some people would, would read this and say, well, how is that difference? Isn't she talking about the same thing here as here? No, very unlike you need time and you need space. And you see people, you see Americans at all levels trying to get it. We want to take the kids to the woods tomorrow. And while they play, I'm going to drop a line in. I'm just going to sit. Or I'm going to take that book that I've been dying to read. Uh, I, 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 there's a new book out called um, the, the, the Monastic Carp. I'm going to take that with me. And that's going to be my solitude. The kids are going to be over there playing baseball. I'm going to be here sitting here next to this tree. I've got a, a book that's with me. And I'm, it's, I, it is my time now to look at what I call the unanswerables of life. Mm. It's in solitude. So you're not, you, solitude's very different than silence. Um, solitude takes you where you need to go and too little go. So the family vacation came out of the notion that we all need some time and some space, whatever it is that you need, you must take it. Yep. Somehow or other, you must take it. You don't take it every day and you don't take it every month. You may only take it once a year or two weeks out of the year, but you, you absolutely have to have it. Why? Because that is when you discover the, I, the ideas in your head and the effect on the self that is you. Mm-hmm. And that's the place when you hear you are the beloved. That's right. You know, that's exactly right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, you lose you lose your mesmeration with the roles yeah. you occupy in life. And, and and you find yourself in the universal yet unique place that that, that is the soul and you as the beloved. Absolutely perfect. Perfectly said. <clears throat> perfectly done it enables us to look at the daily density of life mm. and to ask ourselves what that is it you know some density is very good very good when things are really going well you're a football coach and they're winning that's density mm. and it's really good density but you lost that day before it was over and you may need some solitude tonight to look at where the agitation in you really is. You're mad at the quarterback or you're mad at the other coach, or you know that you didn't do much to bring this, this uh, group to, to a fine point, all sorts of things go on in, in solitude. It is the answer to the unanswerables. The, these are the big questions. These are the things that Jesus is talking about when he says, I, I want to go apart for a while. Yeah, yeah. He's telling you, very, very important, because it's there that you are going to find what it is that's really driving you. Yeah, the questions. That's, that's right. Yeah, the questions become the answers. That's exactly right. <laughs> That you, yeah, what is the problem with what's what is my problem? Yeah, that's uh, that's tough stuff. It's a kind of spiritual independence training. Hmm. There's no use going to for, for all these spiritual directors and all of these uh liturgical processes and and all of these great church conferences, they have a place, but they cannot take the place of the solitude that they should be feeding for me to find my way back to myself. Hmm. I, I, I meant it when, I, when we opened and I said, I think we've lost our way. Yeah. I'm not sure that America knows what America is really about as opposed to what we say it's about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what we're doing with it at this time. So this is, the this is the period when you look at both your aspirations and your choices. This is what I'm hoping for. This is what I want. And this is what I'm choosing. This is what I have chosen. This is what I want to choose. Are those two things in sync? Mm. Is Do there congruence? Is there alignment? That's exactly right. Yeah. 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 And, and it's only solitude that will give you uh, the chance. 
you see, everybody, we know this when we talk to, to adolescents. If you've ever been a high school teacher, it's all over their face when they come in the room. And you know it because you're talking to them. But you have to understand that everybody has to separate from the group. Hmm. And you go on through your whole life separating from the group to find your own independent thinking. And if you do not separate yourself from the group, you, you would just be uh, one, one more housewife who's uh, complaining about something or is unhappy about something, or one more father who um, is furious when he gets home from work because the, the grass is three feet high, because he's never taken the time to say, for my family to live in a good and beautiful and holy and liturgical space, I gotta get that grass out of there. <laughs> so it, 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 it will affect the freeing of the self but only if you have defined, uh, de detached yourself from a group yep. that, why? Because groups, groups monitor what you're doing. Oh, don't tell me you're not coming. Oh, you're not going to do that, are you? Shame and oh, guilt. Shame. Yep. There it is. Yep. So solitude, in my opinion, is kind of a sacred oil. And you, you kind of immerse yourself in it. And you let it take over. And you think about what you're thinking. You don't have to go in there and uh, structure any major problems whatsoever. Not at all. All you have to do is go in there and think. And pray about what you're thinking. And don't leave until you decide, given A, I need a, I need a little bit more of B. Hmm. And I got to get it in. And do you find, do you find when you immerse yourself in that solitude, that it's actually, solitude isn't something that you did, but it was something that was done to you? <laughs> oh, sure, of course. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly when it's going to come up most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or we either very, very good or very, very bad. You know, you say, you say to yourself at a time like that, I've known Tim all my life. Anytime I needed him, I, I, all I had to do, pick up the phone or raise my hand, he'd be right there. He's a model to me. I don't think I'm doing enough of that. I wonder if I'm as good a friend to him. And if I'm not, what is it in mm -hmm. me? Those are every one of those they're strange little things, maybe, but the stuff that will come up in solitude, mm -hmm. you haven't thought of for six months, and you should be. Yeah, yeah, and it may even it may even invite you on your own hero's journey, right? I mean, oh, I yeah. think solitude oh. is where you kind of it spirit <laughs> spirit starts to nudge uh, and That's stirs those questions that have been in you that maybe you've muted in the world. Listen, it happens to every radish in the in the pack. <laughs> the, the more you pour, the more you pour over that radish, the the more that that soil is going to grow it. Mm. We good. think we've got it all, when and we're not. We do not keep turning the layers over that will enrich and grow our own energy. These are the kinds of things that that a, a Benedictine community takes for granted and schedules in. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah. the difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of these these fifty practices, disciplines, rituals, um, you, you know, you end the book, kind of putting a bow on it, on saying that this is how you make this is the making of the monastic heart, right? In the physical world of form, we we we're not all called to go and be in the monastery, but we all have been entrusted some dirt under our feet. Um, and of course I underlined it's heaven all the way to heaven. Um, yeah. and, and, and I thought that maybe you could kind of just give us that invitation of that th these practices, they, they are heaven all the way to heaven and that heaven, heaven isn't a geographical place that we are headed to. It, it the, the announcement is that it's here, it's now, and it's at hand. It's. It, people know intuitively 
that it is a, it's about something that we do in shaping our own lives. The only thing is that usually someplace between oh, middle-aged adulthood and middle age, you begin to sense that, that either there's too much there or there's too little there. And you begin to look for where is this better, richer path? Or with, what, when did I get off of it? I was on it and I'm not there anymore. So this whole notion of, of um, marking out the pieces of my life is very Benedictine and very important. Uh, meaning that every day we have a time for prayer, a time for community, a time for work, a time for study, a time for reflection and a time for rest, time for the self. And that goes on every day of your life. Now, I'm around too much not to realize that that is a pretty lost pattern mm. for most people in a big, um, a 50-story building sitting in an urban metropolis. Yep. You know, their five minutes is waiting for the elevator. Right. That's... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not enough mm -hmm. and so when when i get out of of uh kilter it, it's almost always that my day or my life is out of kilter mm. it is just that it's been a busy day so th this 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 is a, a simple on on the very last page of this little rule five by four 72 short chapters the man who created a lifestyle, that's what monasticism is. It's a lifestyle. It's not a job. It's not a work. Yep. It's not a position. It's a lifestyle. That man who created that lifestyle to whom thousands, thousands of people have flocked all these years over all these centuries. You know what he wrote at the, uh, about two-thirds of the way down this short page? He said, now, remember this, you know, we, I've shown you the rule now. Remember this. Um, you, you, you have to realize this is only a little rule for beginners. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. Yeah. That's why we can say so confidently, this rule is about living the ordinary life extraordinarily well the time you spend with the toddler. Maybe it's only three minutes, but when that baby's face lights up and says, daddy, and once picked up, that, that grab is life flowing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it's also the whole notion of fatherhood, of marriage, of the spousal, of the partnership, of of what that means for both of us, for all of us, for these kids as well as us. That's a very Benedictine thing. Yep. Who am I inside? Who can see it outside? How do I show it? What am I, what am I missing that will enrich myself? You have to enrich yourself yep. with thoughts, with, with solitude, with, with silence, with, metanoia with everything in those practices is an enrichment of the self every single one yeah yeah and 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 i guess just processing this with you um the, the aha i'm leaving with is um benedict provided structure but that structure becomes the garden in which we cultivate and then, right. and then get to experience the goodness, truth, and beauty in our lives. So, so if, if, if goodness, truth, and beauty you believe is lacking, yeah. perhaps you got to look at the garden, and perhaps the garden has to look at its structure, and you start there, and you begin to plant some seeds, and you may not see something today, and you may not see it tomorrow, but a month from today, a year from today, five years from today, you, you're, you're swimming in that goodness, truth, and beauty. That's why you and I like to have talks. <laughs> Somehow, 
One of these days, I, if I got to get on a plane and come to Ireland, we're doing it in person. I don't know how, but we yeah. need to make that oh, yeah. happen. Oh, yeah. It's about time for that. It's about time for that, Ashton. Because And, and yes, yeah, to, to see the energy in you is a real gift in me tonight. And I thank you for it in ways uh, I can't explain. But I do know that once that life is alive in a person, it lights the life in another person. Hmm. It's not nothing. Hmm. Just handing off what you've given to me, Sister Joan. Um, So who would you invite to read this book? You know, and I realize it's for everybody. I'm I'm very, very simple about it. Uh, It's a, a very, it's a person serious about, about discovering the, the, the beauty of life, the goodness of life, the truth that, it call, that a good life calls out of us, and that these are reflective people. That's, that's who will read this book. Mm. They will pick up this book. This is not a book that you're going to read from page one to page 200. This is a book that's written for you in 50 parts of your life. And it asks you to consider those 50 parts, and it gives you a little way to build each of those little monastic um, approaches to your own life, because we're all meant to be monastic. We're all meant to build that one living heart. And and for some of us, um, we're like me, we're, we're, we're lazy and dull, so we, we go to a, a a monastic community and they show us exactly how to do it <laughs> other people they find it and know it i i have uh, one last uh, story to end with i i was later the years later the prioress of the community and i was meeting with the non-professed with the ones who hadn't made a perpetual profession yet so i said i i always went in with a question so i said today's question is why do you go to prayer and so there were six or seven young women sitting around the corner. Uh, I had never heard such pathetic answers in my life. <laughs> and every one of them got more beautiful and therefore useless than the one before it. Well, I go because I want a relationship with God. The prioress's answer, no. The second says, well, I go to prayer because I want to strengthen my spiritual life. I said, no. And the third kid says, well, I go to prayer because I want to learn to, to be like Jesus. Oh, forget it. You're years off, kid. The fourth kid says, well, I go to prayer because, I, because I'm just so needy and, and I have to find something. I said, no, the fifth kid is smart and she has had it. She says, okay, if none of those are the reasons we go to prayer, why do we go to prayer? And I said, because the bell rang. They, they said, what? I said, because the community picks you up out of your chair and says, it's time for you to go back to the beginning and look at it all again. Why do you go to prayer? Because the bell rang. The bell said, no, no, no. You, you think that sitting there writing that book is important. No, what's really important is that you answer that bell in that chapel mm. and that you put yourself again, like, like two pieces of electric wire yep. together. Alignment, reorientation. Um, it's where we get become collected and together versus roaming the world isolated and alone. Um, That's right. Yeah. Sister Joan, um, super grateful for you today. Uh, as, as always, uh, I feel like I could do these conversations with you for hours on end. Um, I, 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 for those of you that have, this has rang true for you, please go out and get a copy of the monastic heart came out September 21st. So it is out and available now. You did this for us last time. Uh, I know it, it's, it's, uh, it's a, could be a bit of a curveball, but you left us in benediction form. Um, you gave us a good word, um, and that was such a gift, and uh, I wanted to offer you that opportunity again as we leave this dialogue, if you could leave our community uh, in only the way you can. Well, 
what would a Benedictine say to an audience of this depth and breadth and to a leader who is obviously sincerely and seriously committed to the word? I think, I think that Benedict of Nursia would say, remember this, what we need from each of you is the best of yourself, not the best of somebody else, but that part of you which is soft and kind and holy and God-seeking, you all will bring this world back together. And I think he would lead us with one, leave us with, with one memory. Remember this and remember it always. Yes, God did create the world, but God did not complete it. God left the completion of this world to each of us and us together. And it might be why we're having such a hard time. Amen. Amen.